This is season three of Liquid Gold. All right, where the buzz is brewing and the coffee is cold. Welcome back to another season of Liquid Gold right here on We Own This Town, weownthistown.net, We Own This Town Podcast Network. My name is Mike Wolf, your host today, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman, who we'll be checking in with later for booze news, along with a little coffee talk. We got a really special show for you today, an interview with, he's the advice king, he's a renaissance man, he's the king of cold brew, Mr. Chris Crofton. And this was just such an enlightening chat, and he's such an awesome dude, really enjoyed it. Chris has so much going on. He had his breakthrough solo album come out just a few years ago on Arrowhawk Records. The album is called Hello, It's Me. Just a great album. All these amazing songs on there. So we talk about that. And he's also a sage of advice. And he does the Advice King column at the uh, Nashville Scene, which you can check out, NashvilleScene.com. You can check it out in the print edition. We talk about so much stuff. He's been sober for about eight years. So congrats to Chris for that. Um, I apologize if I'm wrong on the years there. But uh, he talks about the gift of sobriety, getting his brain back, really opening up his writing. And then we talk about cold brew. And we're both, uh, we both get kind of tweaked out on cold brew, which is a lot of fun. Chris does this meme series on his Instagram called Cold Brew Got Me Like. He's got a podcast coming up called Cold Brew Got Me Like that he's going to be launching in mid-November. So we have a lot of fun talking cold brew and talking about the creative process, the state of comedy, pairing coffee drinks with B and C-list celebrities. That one's a lot of fun. And um, we also do kind of a live Advice King. We will get to that interview in just a second. You can head to weownthistown.net. We did a, I did a little spooky short story with uh, some artwork, a cover by Jess Matchin of Liquid Gold fame. This is just a fun little story. I've been working on some fiction, so this was a fun little detour for me to take. And uh, this is kind of a folktale how the, the owl call came to be. Who cooks for you? Who cooks for y'all? So check that out. That'll be on weownthistown.net for your Halloween revelry. The spooky story is an addendum to it was too scary. It was too twisted to go into the ebook Lost Spring How We Cocktailed Through Crisis, a compilation of recipes and anecdotes from quarantine from some of Nashville and beyond's most talented bartenders and drinks professionals. The Amazon link is on my Instagram at MikeWolf underscore Garden to Glass. We've also got a link on We Own This Town. Proceeds go to Tennessee Action for Hospitality. So thanks to our friends from Turner Publishing for supporting that and um, doing all that they're doing to get the word out about the ebook. There will be a book coming in print in mid-May of next year. So there's some additional content going in that. So lots going on around here in the Liquid Gold universe. We've got a really cool audio essay at the tail end of the episode today from Matt Campbell, one of my best friends, and I'm sad that he's living in Warsaw, Poland now. Matt, what the hell? What are you doing living in Warsaw? Anyway, um, we miss you, buddy. But he checked in and did a did and read the essay that he wrote in Lost Spring. That's all about a New Year's Day shift at Robert's Western World, where Matt worked 
and he played some music and uh matt's just an old friend of mine we played music together for years and grew up together back in colorado and uh, i miss him so it's a lot of fun to have him on this episode and he writes a beautiful essay just about setting up a bar and going through the ringer getting busier than you would have thought working the grill at roberts and uh the magic of the roberts bologna sandwich so we're jam-packed today got some booze news coming up after the crofton interview kenneth gets into kiss making a rum in sweden uh (laughs) uh, marijuana that's grown in napa valley and the problems there and then as always and we talked about how strange it is for us but for some reason we come back to the royal family a lot and we enjoy making fun of the royal family and uh everything that's going on with them so we've got an update on the royal family on booze news today i'll give you a quick little recipe ratio to make cold brew at home all right take a about one and three quarter cup of medium ground coffee like a medium coarse grind of coffee to two and a half cups of water put that in a mason jar stir that up together cover it this is great to do the night before you want to drink it Mix that all in a, in a mason jar. All right. Cover it. Let it rest at room temperature on the counter overnight, about 12 hours. Then the next day, strain it twice through a coffee filter. You can also use, use like a tea strainer. And you can also use cheesecloth if you, want, uh, if you want it to be a little bit smoother. And then uh, what a lot of people do after, after doing the brew get it in the refrigerator and let it cool down or just pour it over ice. And that's a really simple ratio for doing a cold brew coffee at your house. Since so many, many of us are in our house a lot these days. So there's a little ratio for cold brew. We've got uh, some cold brew talk coming up with Chris Crofton. He loves cold brew. I love cold brew. So we both figured let's just get tweaked out and talk about the many ways in which Chris is a modern renaissance man, and also how cold brew, a primitive form of cold brew, led to the renaissance era. And we need more renaissance men and women in our lives. And so it's good to have one on the show today. I want to throw out some some tags, some, uh, what do they call them? Handles? Uh, For Chris Crofton. Find him on Twitter, at The Crofton Show. He does some beautiful poetry on there, on Twitter. Find him on Instagram, at Chris underscore Crofton. The Advice King column, once again, on the Nashville scene. And look for the podcast coming up. And he's also got a new album. We're going to talk about all that. And let's turn it over to the interview with Chris Crofton, right here on Liquid Gold. So on the line, he's an Advice King, but he's also the King of Cold Brew, uh, in my mind, or Cold Brew uh, videos or series, and he's a Renaissance man. I love a Renaissance man, and uh, we need more of them in, in these in these days. His name is Chris Crofton. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. I'm very excited to uh, be here. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Uh, Kenneth and I are both big no fans. Problem. We've enjoyed uh, sharing some of your advice columns and the the video series Cold Brew got me like, which we're, we're going to get into. But you had an album, your your debut solo album, and it's probably funny to to think about that, knowing that you've been playing music, 
and writing, doing comedy, being a musician, doing all these things over the past, what, 20 years or so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I was drunk. Like, you know, I was, had a drinking problem throughout most of that 20 years. So, I mean, that's not to say I don't like a lot of the stuff I wrote and did during those times, but I wasn't very good at um, getting it out there. I wasn't awake a lot of that time. You know, I most of the time was asleep for real. Like, you know, I'd, I'd sleep off hangovers and sleep through all the, you know, all the emails and all the, the only places I really made, did my networking was in bars. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that networking you find a lot of the time is not that, doesn't a lot of it doesn't come true. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember there were about a million record deals I had in, in bars. Uh, or on uh, cocaine or something, you know, that just never happened, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they never happened, but never even, everyone involved was so embarrassed, they never even spoke to each other again. <laughs> so, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I finally got sober, and then, you know, I, I don't want to say that everybody needs to get sober, but for me, it was just a major problem. And I was in denial about it for many, many years. Um, and uh, luckily, I saw the light for some reason, um, and... It really came from my girlfriend saying that she was not interested in going out with someone who was 41 years old who was drunk all the time. And um, for some reason that resonated. I mean, for some reason at that moment, I it made sense to me. And I said, okay, I'll quit drinking, you know, and I meant it. It was really weird because I never, ever, ever thought that that was a good idea usually. So I just, I realized that that was an important moment. And so I decided to try and go with it because I knew it was something different. And then it turns out that, I used to have this band called the Alcohol Stunt Band mm-hmm. in Nashville. And, you know, it just turns out, like, I was kind of like, when I was drinking, I was kind of angry. I was kind of always like, I, I deserve more breaks than I'm getting. And I was kind of jealous of other people's success and stuff like that. So, like, I was pretty mad. It just turns out, like, a lot of the time I was drunk, I was pretty mad. And I didn't really realize it. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I got, like, so I was also trying to prove that I didn't need anybody's help. Like part of being an alcoholic for me was just like, I can do everything myself and I'm going to prove to like my dad or something that I never needed anybody's help. And I'm the greatest person that ever lived or something. Yeah. So like I would make these records that were like one metal song and then one like love song. And I'd put them all together. And then anybody who ever wanted to manage me would be like, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to promote these records? They're all all over the place. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, that's part of what I'm doing. I'm trying to teach people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what? I'm teaching people to like metal and ballads. I'm the first person who ever thought of that. You know what I mean? Like, very <laughs> crazy. And then uh, I got sober, and then I just wrote a bunch of love songs, and then everybody loved it. like all of a sudden i didn't i didn't try and teach anybody a lesson or anything i just made a record where all the songs sounded like relatively the same volume and then i had success after 20 years of trying to teach people a lesson and mostly just teaching myself a lesson that's amazing uh the album is called hello it's me came out in i believe two early 2018 yeah it came out in 2018 and got reviewed by npr and Pitchfork, and I, I mean, that was like the, you know, I'd, I'd been mad at people who were getting NPR, NPR and Pitchfork reviews for years, so I yeah. <laughs> jealous of those people forever, so I was like, yeah, it was 2018, and um, and they were great reviews, and I just finished a brand new one. Oh yeah, they were great reviews, it's, it was basically, I've always loved crazy music, like The Jesus Lizard, or Old ACDC, or, oh, yeah. you know, stuff like, I love Jonathan Richmond, and I love... 
John Denver, and I love other people named John. Um, <laughs> John Prine. <laughs> I love John Prine, and I love Gordon Lightfoot, and I love that kind of shit. So oh, I'm yeah. I into, like, rowdy shit or else, like, really sentimental. So I just made a record of all sentimental stuff because that was how I felt, too. Like, I felt like um, early 2000s when I was writing, like, alcohol stunt band songs, it was like George W. Bush time, and it felt like it was really like the world needed more people to yell and scream. Sure. But since the internet's gotten more popular and like, you know, it's gotten more popular. Um, <laughs> the internet's gotten more popular, you know, like for Twitter and stuff, like there's enough people yelling now. Now I feel like people need some love and some sure. joy. Yeah, the internet just sort of, it just sort of took over is what it did. And uh, I, you know, I myself was in a band early 2000s that was loud super loud um you know and i was singing and i was you know yeah there were times i was shouting loudly about things and uh it was kind of an intense time but so so i see where you're coming from there um and i see the the parallel with uh with jonathan richmond with a lot of stuff that you're doing you also do comedy was that your focus when you went to los angeles was to focus more on the comedy side of things or yeah i i um when I uh, moved to Los Angeles, I basically, I was leaving Nashville after 13 years, really the first time I felt like I could move in a healthy way because I wasn't going to do drugs and drink when I got to L.A., which always scared me about switching towns. Like, I was afraid that I would make friends the way I always made friends, which is through bars. And I, mm-hmm. I, finally, I felt like I, finally, I felt like I could move without, like, dying. And I, like recorded that record this is the long part just that i recorded that record in 2014 before i left nashville mm-hmm. and it didn't come out till 2018 and i didn't put it out because i i knew it was the best thing i'd ever done and i didn't want to self-release it but yeah. i also was willing to never release it if i had to wow. you know like i was not gonna like i mean that was a in a way a mature decision on my part if i was drunk still I would have said I have to put this out right away I need my praise I need people to review it and say it's good I need these hits of endorphins that I live for you know yep. I need someone to tell me I'm great you know instead it was like no this is good and if I self-release it it's just gonna it's gonna do all the other records did and it's gonna be fun for one night and then I'm gonna end up with 400 copies of it in my attic which I'm sitting next to right now like hundreds of copies of the old alcohol stunt band records sure so you know which is fine you know and I hope at some point we can sell these records because I like them you know and I but I didn't want to like try and promote that old me, old me at the same time as the new record yeah so I just that stuff's not on the internet or anything and, and maybe I hope someday it will be but I waited and I, my friend Daniel Pujol from here in town, I just gave him my record and said, listen, I was also at a point in my life where I was not ashamed to ask for help, which mm-hmm. is another thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I, I gave the record to everyone I knew who had any kind of connections to anything. So I knew Daniel had been on Saddle Creek, and, you know, I just I just knew he was one of my friends that knew people, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, was not afraid to say, Daniel, could you listen to this record, and if you like it, could you tell me? tell anybody or give it to anybody you think would like it, you know, mm-hmm. that you know in the business or whatever, you know, which for some reason a long time ago would have made me feel really bad or feel like I was, I don't know, it just was hard for me to ask for help. So he said, hell yeah, I'll give it to this friend of mine, Alyssa. She's a publicist. Her name's Alyssa DeHaze. And I talked to Alyssa and he said, she'll love this record. And Daniel loved it. So Alyssa called me. We talked on the phone and she was like, oh yeah, I would love to be your publicist for this whenever you get a label. 
and she was like, I'll, I have a little label, but it wouldn't be the right kind of fit. Like your music's different than the kind of music I have on my label. She was putting out a bunch of heavy stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, okay, thank you. Cause it was great. Cause she's a really well-known publicist and she's great and she's really cool. And so it was really nice that she said she would work my record because she doesn't work everybody's record. And so it was a really nice thing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, find a label. Like, I'm never going to find a label. I don't know how to find a label. Uh-huh. So I, you know, I was like, oh, fuck, basically. I was like, oh, well. <laughs> and then two years later, she called me up. When I was in Los Angeles, I decided I was going to abandon music, and I was just going to, not abandon it, but basically stop. I just was trying to look at making a living, because mm-hmm. I was 40, fuck, 45 at the time. Mm-hmm. just turned 45. And I was like, if I keep trying to make records, I just don't see. Anyway, I thought comedy might be a way for me to make money, because I'd already been doing stand-up. I did stand up in New York City in the early nineties before I knew how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. So basically I was like, I just thought for some reason that maybe I could make a living doing stand up, which turns out it's like just as hard <laughs> to make a living doing stand up is just as hard, if not maybe harder. I don't even know, not harder, but luckily Alyssa DeHaze called me up and said, I want to put out your record. That's so awesome. That was two years later. So that saved my life. You know, I mean, it didn't save my life. That's maybe extreme, but it did. She put that record, she knew She knew people that she could get ears on that record that I always wanted, you know, like... Yeah, helped you get that audience you were looking for a little bit, or... Yeah, she's yeah. a publicist, you know, and she has, you know, because I said thank I said to her, thank you for getting me Pitchfork, you know, I mean, just want to... You know, she's like, well, I didn't get it, you know, remember, it's the record that got it, but, you know, yeah, I got I can get it in, in those people's inbox in a play you know in a way they'll pay attention to it but that's just humongous you know so yeah she really did as she loved that record she gave me a huge gift i'm eternally grateful to Alyssa, and her label is called errol hawk records and she's based in athens georgia and i just finished a new record and killer i think it's going to be called i'm your man mm-hmm. of course is hello it's me is the name of a todd rundgren song mm-hmm. um and it's also the name of a song on that record. And I'm Your Man is uh, the name of a famous uh, Leonard Cohen song. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking it'd be fun to, because I'm a big fan of uh, classic rock and grew up listening to those artists. And so I, 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 I tentatively, I think, or I'm pretty sure it's going to be called I'm Your Man. But anyway, it's, it's coming out hopefully next spring, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's been great to have a, have a label where I can, put out another thing i've never had that before that's <laughs> awesome like i've never it's incredible yeah that's got to feel pretty pretty empowering for the for the creative process for you was that and that must have been so important for these times did you feel like did you work through this album as you know the world was changing and and people were turning inward things were turning inward is that is that part of how the record came to be for me it was I had I had a weird event uh, two years ago. I broke my hip because I was on this drug called Depakote. Uh, Depakote is a drug that's a it's an anti epilepsy drug, like an anti seizure drug. But I got put on it in the late '90s when I was still living in New York as a mood stabilizer. It, it, it had just been approved to treat psychiatric stuff as well as the seizures, and so I ended up being on this drug for 20 years. And then I was roller skating at, you know, <laughs> as you do when you're 50 or 49 or whatever I was. <laughs> you, know, you go roller skating like an idiot. And I fell down and I broke my hip and it was horrible. And I went to the hospital and when I got there, the doctor, the surgeon said, what's your pre-existing condition? 
that caused you to break your hip? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. First of all, I was kind of shocked when he was asking me, but I was like, just because I was fucked up from breaking my hip, but I, which turns out to be a nightmare. Do not like break your hip. I said, I don't know. I don't think I have a pre-existing condition. I don't know what, what he said. Well, you don't break your hip when you're 49 years old from falling down. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Something. So I said, well, I used to drink. And he said, no, it's not that. And I said, I take Zoloft. And he said, no. And I said, I take Depakote. And he said, oh, that's what it is. Oh, wow. And uh, that was the first time I ever heard that about that drug. Uh, and it turns out in 2014, they added a warning that that drug causes bone loss or can cause bone loss. So I almost had osteoporosis. I had like osteoporosis light. It's called osteopenia, which actually sounds even worse. But mm-hmm. I, I got surgery and got shit put in my leg. But I got off that drug because immediately I was like, well, I got to get off this drug. And it turns out I didn't need that drug. It turns out I didn't need it. I, you know, I'm not blaming the doctors who put me on it because I was a mess when I asked them for help. You know, I was drinking and having panic attacks and I wanted help. And mm-hmm. They were trying to help me. So I don't fault them. Mm-hmm. I fault the drug company, really, just for not, you know, for putting stuff on the market that has just such crazy side effects. I mean, I just wasn't thinking that way when I was 28 when I went on it. I just was dumb. There was no internet or there just barely was. So I just sort of, didn't really look into it much and just started taking it. It didn't seem like it bothered me, so I took it for forever. Uh, but I got off of it. And it turns out my whole brain is, that shit was affecting me in a big way. Wow. So I came out of that fog and I wrote this record on purpose, which mm-hmm. I've never really done before. I used to wait for songs to like fall on me from the sky or something, which is a very slow way to write. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, wait for the muse. Yeah. Yeah, I just like get drunk and like hold a metal rod. You know, waiting for the, <laughs> waiting for the song to come through, you know, it's like yeah. a long way to write a record. Yeah. Nine years. And the songs are, yeah, all right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I kind of wrote this record, you know, after I broke my hip and, and after I started to feel better. And um, it just happened to be more love songs, I guess, because, and more songs of encouragement, I think, a lot of them. And some one song about addiction, one song about drugs called side effects mm-hmm. which is about depakote and the words are like i've been on meds since i was 25 years old stuff i never wrote about before i don't know for me you know being sober just was a gift because it just gave me back my my brain mm-hmm. i mean i've been sober eight years now so it's like my brain i just got back my because i thought to be a man like i didn't really have any idea how to be a man and i thought I was a big rock and roll fan, so I thought being a man was like smoking cigarettes and getting hammered, and, and that's not me, really. My real self is, my young self is nice. I was a nice kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was an earnest, friendly kid. I was not a, what you would call a masculine kid if you're going on the kid rock model of masculinity. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wanted, like a, I wanted to be an, arch- I wanted to be an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. But I, but I also loved music, but I also grew up in a community that was in Connecticut that was really wealthy and dominated by seven foot tall lacrosse playing Republicans. And <laughs> I, I just, you know, as soon as I started drinking, they were like, Oh, I guess that guy's, you know, that was the first time they gave me like, they're like, Oh, he's cool. He drinks a lot. You know? Yeah. It was all it took. I was like, Oh, well, this is my path to acceptance. You know, like this is, I kind of like got my old self back. It doesn't mean that I don't, I don't know. It doesn't mean that like everything I did before was fake. It just means it was an exaggeration. Like I am kind of like a, mischievous person a little bit mm-hmm. but i exaggerated that part because that was the part that jocks valued 
they yeah. liked that I was just crazy. Well, Crofton's crazy, you know what I mean? But I'm yeah. not crazy. The alcohol helped make me crazy, you know, but I was really not myself all the way. Uh-huh. And so now I can be kind of crazy if I want, but I'm in control of it. It's not just because I'm doing it for other people so much. Yeah. One of the things... Cold brew? We both share a love for cold brew. I think one of the things that's amazing yeah. about cold brew being like, maybe not the opposite of like chugging a beer, but it uh, it does have some some qualities that are the opposite of that because usually cold brew is served with a straw. And so you just can kind of suck it down real quick and you get you you get your caffeine fix. But you do this thing on your Instagram, which is at Chris, it's at Chris underscore Crofton. Is that right? It is, yeah. Yeah, at Chris underscore Crofton. And you do all these videos and video clips. Cold Brew got me like. And uh, Kenneth and I, we both love sharing them. Um, but yeah, but just Kenneth. generally, what do you love? What do you love about Cold Brew? And talk to me about this. Uh, just the, the funny, amazing videos that you find. Well, I like drugs. Obviously, <laughs> I did drugs and drank for a long time. You know, I'm, my body's declined. I like I'm Irish. I think it runs in, in me to think that happiness kind of lies in substances a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe that's maligning the Irish, but I am Irish, so I feel like I can. Sure. But, um, you know, <laughs> I feel like there's still a fascination for me about what the, I, I kind of like, maybe in an unhealthy way, uh, still, like, I, I, I like eating candy and feeling crazy, and I like drinking coffee and getting crazy, you know, drinking too much coffee and feeling like a nut. Yep. But, I've been doing that forever. Even when I drank, um, you know, I drank a bunch of coffee. I just like to get tweaked and, and get weird. Yeah. And coffee has a pretty profound effect on me. A hell of a drug. I mean, it's oh, like, it is. I don't know if you're familiar with Chuck Mead. Oh, for sure. Here from Nashville. Oh, yeah. Okay. So a long, a long time ago, I was in Bongo Java, probably 2007 or eight or something, and I saw Chuck, and he said, did you know that the, that the Renaissance in Europe corresponded with the arrival of the ready the ready availability of coffee in Europe. And that's true. Oh, wow. And I did not know, but that just shows you, like, coffee fucking is, is a lot of fun, you know? <laughs> you know, you can picture those guys, like, deciding to build a dome, you know, because they had coffee. You know? <laughs> coffee, I could build a dome. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, because tomorrow, when it, when it wears off, we'll, we'll, we'll have more coffee. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, like, I, I think, I, you know, like, everybody else is on coffee, too, so they're like, oh, yeah, I think you can build a dome. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like, <laughs> we got this. Franklin's probably on cold brew, and you fucking put that key on the kite, you know? Yeah. But it wasn't cold brew, obviously, but it might have been, you know, whatever primitive shit they were drinking back then that was probably tasting like fucking dirt. It was probably um, similar because it was a slow extraction, my, my guess. So I, I'm sure there were similarities. How do you know that? Well, just because I imagine that they're they're brewing it like almost through a sock, you know, yeah. or they're they're brewing oh, it. Oh, it would take a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a slower it's slower extraction. So, um, they could have been. Yeah, it was like a it was like a primo method to drink what was probably who knows what the coffee was like. I'm yeah, sure it was weird. Strong, probably. Yeah, yeah, just probably strong. Coarse grind. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, so they probably were drinking strong coffee. I was drinking, I mean, I guess the reason I went crazy for cold brew is because for, I don't know, 20 years I was drinking, I, I like drinking iced coffee. And I was fine with it because I didn't know there was anything better. But I kind of always was like, ah, eh, this kind of tastes like shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> it was like usually, 
you know, best case scenario, they would like double brew it or something. You know, that's I know that's what Bongo used to do is they would double brew it. So it was like a little bit less likely to get watered down. But worst case scenario, you just go to a coffee shop where someone had just taken a picture of regular coffee, put it in the refrigerator and poured it over ice. You know what I mean? Yep. And you just guess you're super weak. But I put up with it because I didn't know there was anything better. Mm-hmm. And then when I first tried cold brew, I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was like the best thing that ever, I don't know where it even was. It was probably like 2013 or 14 or something. I don't know when, Yeah, somewhere here in town, like maybe Ugly Mug or Portland Brew or something. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, oh my God, this is like delicious. And it gives you just such a great buzz. For sure. So I just was, after drinking shitty iced coffee for so many years, it was just like a revelation. Yeah. Um, and it just was like, made my life so much better. And it's just funny because if you're already putting up with another kind of life, which is shitty iced coffee, and you don't know there's anything better, and you're fine with that, and then to just find out you get this upgrade, it's great. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, being up- upgraded to first class, but you didn't even know there was a first class. It's like first really class with great. a straw. Straight to your yeah, brain. Check out this part of the plane. Yeah. Not only you didn't even know about it, I just have, I've just gotten into uh, drinking cold brew because it just makes me feel good, and and it does give me a sort of a drug experience that's much less harmful than alcohol for me, you know. And that's an understatement, you know. Yeah. Much less harmful, you know. The thing about the thing about like with cold brew and with coffee is like you kind of that's different from alcohol because we're talking a little bit about the you know kind of the similarities and the differences. What's what's the thing about coffee is that you get to that point where like you've kind of had too much and you immediately know it and you're like, well, I got to slow down. Is it the same way for you? Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that. Like you get to the edge of the cliff with coffee and you're like. I have got to slow down. And it, that doesn't really happen with alcohol. No, you're right. So that's kind of a blessing. about too much coffee. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never thought about that, Mike. I've never, ever thought about that. You're 100% right. Because, yeah, when I would get to be drinking too much alcohol, it would be right then that that would be when I would think I should drink the most more alcohol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. When you're at the point where you don't need any more at all, that's when you decide that, since you already feel pretty good, you should probably drink a lot more right then. Yeah. Um, that's when shots start. Right. <laughs> shots. That's when doing shots is what, it sounds like a good idea. Because you're like, man, if I feel this good right now, and then, you know, cut to police station. <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah, for, for coffee, I definitely know when I've had too much because I don't feel like having any more. In fact, I usually feel kind of sick. Yeah. You start shaking, um, and then you're like, I better eat a muffin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I still like to uh, drink uh, cold brew on an empty stomach, similar to the way I used to drink at my worst. Um, and then when I'm about to have a breakdown, yeah, I'll eat a muffin. Yeah, that's a good, that's um, a good method. So the cold brew got me like mean thing just started because I one day on, I just noticed on Instagram or on a, Twitter, everyone was saying something, something got me like, mm-hmm. and so I was pretty much just making fun of it in a way and just said cold brew got me like and put a picture of one of those guys in a wingsuit, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know one of those, one of those skydivers, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was the wingsuits to fly over the mountains. Uh, and I, and I, uh, put that up and then everybody was like, Oh boy. And then 
a couple of people started saying, you know, like never stop doing this, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, all I, 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 that's all I do is get told what to do by strangers. <laughs> but, um, anyway, he didn't respond to that. Oh, a stranger like this. Okay. I'll do it forever. <laughs> uh, a stranger likes me to drink. Oh, good. I'll drink forever. So right. I started doing those cold who got me likes. And then I found out that people really like them, you know, because it's another thing about, especially during Trump time, everyone's been such a nervous wreck that just things they can see that cheer them up makes, I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's a dumb thing to see every day. Yeah. Just you know, a chimpanzee wearing a chimpanzee wearing a bow tie or whatever. Colbert got me like, you know, and like, it's just people started to say to me in messages and things, keep doing these. They brighten my day. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And I think that, uh, it, it speaks to the fact that we're in a weird time for comedy, it seems like, um, or at least that's, that's my kind of out outside perspective, but we're also in a, in, in, when you have a president like we do, um, for who knows how much longer, hopefully not that much longer, but when you have a president like this, um, there's, it's ripe for comedy and it's ripe for satire, but this time it, it just, the whole experience went a little bit too far. C- comedians started getting a little bit more serious to me. Um, but then also maybe not knowing as much how to deal with it. And then on the flip side, you have guys like Sasha Baron Cohen, you have satirists, um, at the daily show that become comedy becomes this important thing. So we're at, I feel like it's a very interesting p- place for comedy uh, to be. How do you see that in these times? Well, honestly, I feel like for comedy, the biggest problem has been the like sort of shattering of like where's the place you consume it? Where's the place where yeah. you show it, where people actually watch it? And where do you show something that's like, for example, like would uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, George Carlin, you know, for example, George Carlin. Would anyone have the attention span? Even would there be a platform that would let him do his long form? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm sure there would be, but would he have people's attention spans, including mine, are so so short mm-hmm. that you know everything's turned into these little clips? So it's almost like comedy's been been devalued again, like almost like in the. 80s early 90s comedy boom where like every channel had like just endless comedy shows on on them without any context it was just like a conveyor belt of stand-up comedians mm-hmm. right now people are going for maximum content so lots of stand-ups that aren't even very good are getting elevated for lots of weird reasons because the marketers don't know how to they don't know what people want or how they're watching it especially they don't know they, they tend to think that they want shorter shit so that's what the idea of like quibi you know, the thing that just went out of business. Yeah. You heard of that thing? You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you're thinking like short, because the man, the people who are in the higher ups in comedy, like the producer people, the people who are on the higher ups at Comedy Central or the higher ups at these corporations are not comedians. They just are marketers and they don't know how to, they figure since everybody's watching short things, that's, you know, it makes sense that they would think that, but I don't think that's true. You know, yeah. people want to see Dave Chappelle do a socially distanced outside show about fucking dead serious shit. That's what they want to see. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't want to see. But those marketers are convinced. They can't get their head around. If someone likes short stuff like watching a cat video, then we should make comedy like a cat video. Mm-hmm. But I believe that they're incorrect about that. And that's why we're in... Like they want the maximum number of, number of stand-ups doing the most amount of jokes, 
Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want. We need profound stand-ups doing profound shit, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're out there, but they're getting lost in the shuffle of just other comedians who are just like doing just fluff and yeah. And, and you know, there's just a, there's a new podcast about every single news you know news story that comes out. There's just a lot of crap, and there's also a lot of people who've decided they've checked out of comedy because they don't. Younger people often are like, I don't like stand-up comedy. I've heard people say that, and I'm like, what do you mean you don't like stand-up comedy? You know what I mean? Like, how could you say something so broad about it? And they're like, well, all the comedy shows I've been to, like, my coworker does stand-up, and I've been to their show, and it's terrible. And it was the first <laughs> time I ever went to a stand-up show. You know what I mean? This is not fake, either, Like, This is, like, stuff I've really heard, like, wow. yeah. from a bunch of people. Yeah. Like, I've never been to stand-up before. I went one time, and so I guess I don't like it. Because my nephew does it, and I went, and it was terrible. And I'm like, yeah, you just saw a terrible stand-up. Mm-hmm. That's not, not stand-up. That's just people, since there's a gig in every coffee shop and a gig in every pizza place and a gig in every shoe store now, that there's just way too many places for people to do stand-up. So there's way too many people people doing it. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say, you know, that's not to say I, I think anyone who thinks they want to do stand-up should do stand-up. And I think... In the end, it'll the good ones will shake out somehow. But I know that it's very difficult right now, and there's too much. There's too many takes. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. If you if you go on Twitter at all, it's like you know anything that happens, there's 58 good jokes generated about it immediately. Well, and I wonder if I'm there's tired of yeah, and I want, but I wonder if there's something there with uh, that that the, the art form of it live that live theater, live comedy, the art form of it is, yeah. it can be a little confrontational. And I wonder if that's something that some of the younger people don't, don't respond to as much. Like, I don't know, like what's so different about it with music. Cause everybody agrees. I need music in my life. I need to go see live music. I might go see my friend who plays music and it's not so good, but that doesn't turn me off from music necessarily. So I don't know if it's, is it something about the art form of the live comedy show that can be a little bit, I mean, that's what I love about it sometimes when stuff gets a little bit weird, you know, and, and there's that feeling of risk in the, in the audience. Um, but maybe that's not for the younger set. Yeah. Well, I like that. And I think there's a, I think it's, Oh yeah. You can't do like, I was kind of on that idea of like, Oh, you can't say anything anymore or, like, I don't know if that's what you meant, but there's there definitely is, like, a, people who grew up online and people who grew up offline have very different ways of presenting themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think, luckily, I think people understand generally, and this is not to say my old stand-up. My old stand-up was very dirty and very kind of adolescent in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's another, another way my drinking kind of kept me in this sort of suspended state of being 15 or whatever, mm-hmm. where I thought like, saying the craziest thing you can say is the crazy, is the best thing. Oh, look, I said something really crazy and dirty and that makes me edgy. And that is horseshit. Yeah. It turns out. <laughs> I thought that forever. Uh-huh. You know, but, but I think that, I think you have to just somehow project from the stage if you're, that you're a good person and that you're a loving person even if you're doing stuff that is maybe, you know, like confrontational or whatever it is, or because I think, I think a lot of the time it's just people are from the internet generation are used to being bullied all the time on online. Mm. They're used to really yelling at them all the time and men being horrible to them mm-hmm. and men writing horrible, dark things in their comments. And 
mm-hmm. you know, anonymous men, you know, things that men would never say to their face, but just horrible. I, mean, I guess I'm talking specifically, specifically about women right now, but also men just being bullied, you know? Yeah. And so I think when they're confronted with a, a performer who is sort of like confident in a way, it can come off like this person is being a bully or something. Like, I know this, and this is an idea I have can sound pretty aggressive if you're not to a generation that's used to being bullied, that can come off as like a know-it-all. You know, like, oh, I don't want to hear this guy tell me what's what. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I can get that. Mm-hmm. So I have learned gradually that, like, you kind of got to, if you're serious about stand-up and you want to do something really nice and something that really lasts, I think you have to convey something about yourself. And, like, I was bullied, you know? I mean, like, I don't. most artists were bullied. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them use that, a lot of that inst- instinct to to perform comes from trying to say what's right. You know, like, I was bullied, and I want to tell you that's wrong, and here's why, and I'm going to do it in a funny way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. somehow to make a right or wrong. Art is somewhat about being wronged people writing wrongs. I mean, at least some element of it is for me. I'm realizing I'm getting kind of insane right now, but what I mean is you do have... I, I'm, I'm into the idea of like telling a little bit about myself so that the people know that I'm not a bully just because I'm opinionated. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I like, I don't like when comedians are know-it-alls either. I like the idea of like, you know, this is what's annoying about Bill Maher or something. Like I used to think I liked, but now I'm tired of him being just so right all the time. You know, I don't want to sure. hear about how, so I don't want the, idea, I don't want the person who's talking to me on stage to be, mean to me mm-hmm. like, you know i bought a ticket you know what I mean? like, yeah i want you to just tell me that i'm an idiot yeah sure <laughs> so i think there's just an element of stand-up that can be it takes forever to learn it but i feel like it's important for your voice to be also like i i don't exactly know what i'm talking about i think that's one of my strengths is that i always kind of on stage leave that space where it's like here's what I think, but I don't really know. And even like ask the audience, like, do you think I'm right about that? You know, I'd be like, fuck you or whatever. You know? like, yeah. yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But I like that because that's really me. Like I'll, I'll say something on stage sometimes and I'll be like, is that right? I think that's right. I'm not sure if it's right. You know, <laughs> I, I never want to see someone who's just like, tells you how it is, you know, cause the older I get, the more I realize there is no how it is. It's just this ever evolving now that, there's never a how it is, you know, it's for sure. Like it's never, I'm going to tell you what's what, you know, it's not, that's not how it works. Yeah. So I can understand that. So I do think that there's a way for stand up to evolve. I just think we're in a real awkward spot right now where the good stuff is getting drowned out by the bad stuff. Yeah. And we're learning that and lesson. Wrong answer to that. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're, well, we're learning that lesson, uh, this year, especially where, uh, the things we thought might have been so, you know, just nothing's really so, uh, and everything is constantly changing now. And at the same time, we're all sort of put in the same boat around the world that, uh, I guess what's most, yes, which brings us together in a way. Yeah, it, it should, you know, and it should, and I wish it did a little bit more. Um, but maybe there's, maybe it's just so long of a prolonged thing that, uh, it's hard to get there. But I want to I want to do this thing now where I'm going to put you on the spot. This is this was Kenneth's idea, where we're going to pair we're going to pair coffee drinks <laughs> with celebrities. All right, 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna mention some celebrities and then I want you to pair a coffee drink your <laughs> or come up with a coffee drink. Okay, great. Uh, okay. Well, here's the part where I'm gonna, my phone starts acting up and I'm just gonna hang up if I don't like it. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh, I can't hear you. Yeah, right. <laughs> um he's been on he was uh, a a uh, really talented wrestler on Saved by the Bell and inexplicably had a very long career after that. His name is Mario Lopez. What's his coffee drink? Oh, Mario Oh, fuck. This is actually pretty good. I mean, I would imagine him being the most, at this point, since he's like a major celebrity who also really doesn't do anything, so he, he hates himself. <laughs> um, I would think that, you know, because he knows he gets tons of attention and it's for no reason. I bet he acts out. I bet he gets really mad and he wants people to do a lot of tasks for him because it makes him feel somehow like I bet he's a sadist. So I would say like probably a half calf a half calf um no foam uh oat milk. Maybe you'd know more things you could do to control somebody who you're uh talking to at a, sh- at a shop. Uh a half calf skinny oat skinny oat milk if you got it. Half oat milk to two percent half two percent no foam, but with foam added later, cortado. Yeah. And a tall cup with ice that you put in it and then take out of it afterward. <laughs> a light ice filtration. I like that. Yeah. For some reason, that's connected to the fact that he knows he has no talent. <laughs> wow. I love he's it. Angry. He's angry and he's angry and he's taking it out of the barista. All right. Now let's go to uh, a real a real wrestler. A uh, a legendary beer drinker as well, but uh, I'm sure threw back some coffee in his day. What's Andre the Giant gonna have? Andre the Giant, fuck Andre the Giant. Well, whatever he's gonna have, he's gonna have a 55 gallon drum. Yeah, um, he's gonna have a 55 gallon. <laughs> I was I was picture him because he started drinking coffee in the probably the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, in the seventies, you got like a black coffee. I mean, he got a black coffee in you know, like a, you know, like I don't know what they used for a cup, like a traffic cone or something. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he he got he got a black coffee, and uh, he also played like cards. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's into old times. Yeah, he wore like polyester pants, like well into the early nineties. Yeah, wearing like the first kind of giant collars. Yeah, so I'm gonna say he drank. I'm going to say he drank, now this is too deep, I can't even say it, but there was this kind of coffee called U-Ban, Y-U-B-A-N, mm-hmm. um, which was from the 70s. Um, so I would imagine he drank a big U-Ban with probably like powdered creamer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like powdered, powdered creamer and probably like, you know, maybe he drank like 80 cups of it a day. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> That sounds about right. I could see him taking like a whole can. I could see him take a whole can of that coffee and then like using an the empty can of the last one that he used to like make a beverage in it. You know what? Yeah, there you go. All right, you know what else he now, I, and also, I would encourage your listeners to Google U-Band. They still sell it. I I, I think it's caffeinated. I don't. I, don't I feel like I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've seen it yeah, at the store. Band. And um, I think he also might have taken instant coffee. This is just a thought. But he might have taken instant coffee and put it in his between, like, maybe a whole jar of that 
as like a, um, the same way you do with like Copenhagen and stick it in his lip. Oh damn! <laughs> yeah. He was he was dipping coffee. <laughs> he might have been dipping coffee. I think he might have been dipping instant coffee. That's another thought. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay. And he has huge lips. He has huge lips, so that would be just like a whole jar per dip. Yeah, a lot of volume. A lot of volume with that guy. Yeah. Um. Okay. How about uh? So one of my favorite uh, memeable folk singers. The queen of the coffee house, Miss Jewel. What's Jewel drinking? That's going to be another high-maintenance thing because <laughs> she's, so she's so tired of playing Who Will Save Your Soul um, that she wants to kill herself and everybody else. So I would imagine she would try and kill the barista through labor. Um, <laughs> so it'll be another one of those things where she's like, I need, you know, I need yak milk if you have it. Is this milk local? Yeah. <laughs> Is the yak local? <laughs> is this, yeah, like you know and something that could never be local she asks like, everything is local like is this margarine local yeah. like that's the kind of person she is um, <laughs> margarine local well I mean this is you know this is a organic I just thought Nashville everything's like home source right so yeah like, can I see the goat that made this goat milk or whatever you know yeah so she probably asked yeah, she asked for like a Nashville cow's milk latte. Mm-hmm. And already recent, what do you mean Nashville cow's milk? <laughs> She's like, what I mean is a local cow. Like, do you, I'll go somewhere else, but you don't have your own cow here. <laughs> um, so, uh, or do you, you didn't one. partner with a cow in, in somewhere in Franklin yeah. or something? Yeah. <laughs> I want a local cow that's been fed <laughs> only vegetarian stuff. Yeah. I don't even know if cows eat meat, but anyway, I want a vegetarian cow's milk latte with, you know, two shots in it, but I want you to get one. I like the shot to be in it, but then I like it to be taken out. I think there's a lot of, like, her and Mario Lopez have a big thing with, like, I like the residual of the shot, so if you can put a shot in and then extract it, so there's sort of just a, a little trace of the caffeine. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, and then also put in 2% milk and remove that as well. <laughs> Take that out with a syringe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. I mean, if this is, I thought this was a coffee shop. If you can't do any of these things, I'm sure I can go somewhere else. I'm sure you've got a chemist on staff. Yeah. This, I mean, I, I don't know. If, is this Nashville? Last this time is, I checked, this was Nashville. Yeah, this is 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this not, not Nashville? I'm, let me check my map. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> this is city. Oh, man. All right. How about, um, now I I don't I've seen the guy's name but I don't have it committed to memory thankfully but uh the cranberry juice skater Fleetwood Mac guy oh he's great but I mean yeah I, that guy I would say probably I mean he's like drinking store bought juice he's not drinking like cold pressed juice he's drinking like straight up cran uh, what's that stuff called uh, ocean spray ocean spray yeah I got, he's getting a uh, Chocolate chip frappuccino. Yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? It's something mainstream that tastes good. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm with him. Like cran raspberry is good shit. So I mean, he's just he doesn't care. He just wants a good taste. So he's gonna get like because if you're not like a snob, frappuccinos do taste really fucking good. Yeah, so sure. He probably drinks a big. He might even drink those frappuccinos in a bottle. And I, I no disrespect to him, but I mean, if yeah, he, he just transfers he might, them. He might, 
Yeah, he might barf if he, you know, he might be very upset if he heard this. He'd be like, I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying he's an idiot. <laughs> but I think he probably, he might drink, uh, I think he drinks those frappuccinos in a bottle you get at the gas station. That's great. I can see that. Yeah. All right. Actually, on the bath, too, you know, no, he's not going to take any shit about it either. Like, oh, fuck, frappuccino from the fucking gas station? And he's like, yeah, what about it, you fucking asshole? Yeah, like I drink enough cranberry juice, my, my urine's fine. Yeah, I'm trying to have a good time over here. I'm trying to fucking prove something to you, you fucking insecure <laughs> dickhead. That's right. <laughs> this isn't a performance. I'm trying to have fun. Yeah, right. Um, That's great. Um, I guess we got to do we got to do somebody Nashville. So, Kid Rock walks into a coffee place. What's he getting? Oh God, does he, does he drink coffee? He's probably like. He's like, do you have any coffee, like small batch coffee that was done in, I bet he gets into that bourbon barrel. Have you heard about that? Yes. Yeah, like, like barrel like aged. Like, yeah. He probably bothers people about like what kinds of barrels they can, and he also probably tells them that he can get them hooked up with a guy who knows has barrels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what he's like. He's like, what do you guys, what barrel aged coffee you guys got? And they're like, oh shit, it's Kid Rock. They're like, um. What do you mean barrel aged coffee? He's like, oh shit! What is this? I thought this was natural. Uh, is your margarine local? Oh god, they're all like this. Uh, I can see know, him smoking like, it. I got, guy, I got a guy who can hook you up with. So listen, I'll do this for you. I don't know if you guys know who I am, but I'm Kid Rock. Yeah, okay, we knew that already. Yeah. Um, he's like, I got a hookup of a guy out in Franklin. You guys know where Franklin is? I got a lot of good buddies out in Franklin, and I got some in Leaper's Fork. And they got barrels. <laughs> yeah. I could probably hook you up with them. And you know, everybody at the store is like, I don't want to do any of this. But they have to be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And he's like, all right, here's my phone number. Call this guy. I'm sure victimizing people who are making like $8 an hour. And then he leaves without tipping. And he ends up with a, a they tell him, that he got a barrel-aged cold brew, but it's just regular. Yeah, they just put some cinnamon in it or something. Yeah, they put some fucking cinnamon in it, and he's like, God damn it. He's like, how come I got to do everything? I could see him, like, ordering something and then, be, like, not getting a good vibe from the barrel situation and then just being like, get me a coffee filter and three tablespoons of coffee and I'm going to roll it and fucking smoke it myself right now. <laughs> I, bet I bet you're right. I bet you're right. I could see him just rolling it up and smoking it. I'm going to run it through the carburetor on my Tesla. <laughs> I'll do it myself. <laughs> I'm out of here. As usual. As usual, I got to do it myself. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's a fun game. We're going to have to get you back for that, I think. Oh. He was probably drinking some primitive cold brew when he was doing all that ba with the ba stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a good cold brew got me like uh, meme with some old Kid Rock videos. There's... I mean, how fucked up do you have to be to write down ba with the ba on a fucking lyric pad? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I wonder if if like he ever did write it down. You know, it's like I don't know. Maybe the record company just made him spell it. Probably he was early in his career, so he had to go along with it. He's like, I don't want to spell it. And like, listen, the record company really needs you to. And he's like, all right, B A W. I love it. Oh my god! All right, well we're gonna um, 
be heading to the store soon for some U-Bon. Um, so what do you got coming up? You got the, you got the record coming up and, uh, that'll be out in the spring. It's, uh, Arrowhawk records. Arrowhawk records, A R R O W H A W K. Arrowhawk. Awesome. Arrowhawk out of Athens, Georgia. Yeah. And they're great people. Well, it's really, yeah, it's, it's people now, but it started out, it was just Alyssa and, um, she's great. Alyssa DeHaze. And she's a great publicist. If anybody needs publicity work, she's really good. And she does stuff for not just bands and things. She does stuff for Adult Swim and all kinds of things. So she's really on the ball. And I got my Twitter where I write poems almost every day. Um, yes, your, your poetry. My, at the Crofton Show. And you can find me at, you can find the Advice King Advice Column on, um, through the Nashville scene, who I'm eternally grateful for um, having me do that. And, uh, and then finally, I'm starting this podcast called uh, Cold Brew Got Me Like, which we're hoping to have running maybe to the first episode in, uh, in a couple weeks. I finally got the Patreon kind of done. It's taken me forever. That's so great. We're going to have a, a Twitch streaming podcast called Cold Brew Got Me Like, and it's going to be me, my brother, and my friend John Burr, who you might know. He was the singer for How I Became the Bomb. Okay, um, yeah. And he's like kind of helping us put it together. So Awesome. Got a lot of stuff going on. I, um, you know, I'm happy to be on the show, and thanks for having me very much, uh, Mike and, and Kenneth. Thank you so much for coming on, and um, looking forward to the podcast. How can people write into the Advice King? Just go into that link on the Nashville scene, which I'll add. Yeah, I can add yeah. that link later. Yeah, sure. You know, or else just think you can send it to my uh, send it through my Twitter, or just message me on Instagram. Any which way I can get a question is a big help to me. So please do send DM me on. Instagram, Chris underscore Crofton, or Twitter at The Crofton Show. Yeah, so before you go, um, I'll do I'll do a little Advice King on the spot kind of thing, because I, I have friends out there. Okay. You know, I'm a married man myself, but I've got friends out there. But it's such a tough era for, you know, setting up a, a friend, you know, two friends who don't know each other. What advice might you have? How do you set up people in the in the age of COVID? Or is it just you don't do that anymore? What is that? Is that something that happens a lot in your world? I mean, not really. Not really, but you have friends now who are like lonely, who don't know each other. It's like, I got this friend over here who's lonely. I got this other friend over here who's lonely. And it's like, you know, maybe you can connect them, but it's just such a weird thing to do now. The zany answer would be like, book them both a COVID test at the same time, at the same CVS. (laughs) Right? Yeah, and then then they'll uh, hit it off. And they'll also find out that they're both negative, hopefully, and then they can make out. Or, I mean, a real a real thing would be, uh, I mean, parks. I guess meet up in a park. You know, yeah, right. A park. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can you can do. I I will say something serious. Now, if I was going to really give advice, I would say, remember not to lose your fucking mind in this. Yeah. If you like some, have them get a test, and you get a test, and kiss them. Like you can't. There are ways to, it's worth it to touch somebody if you're about to lose your shit if you don't. Yeah. You can do it in a way that is responsible. So I do have friends that are completely, have not been out of the house basically for six months. And they are truly sobbing. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like very, very, you know. And I'm not trying to be dumb about it, but I kind of was there and I just... I had to, in some way, join the human race. For me, that meant leaving California and driving across the country. But it also, it did mean seeing a woman, too, and both of us getting tested. Yeah. And I needed that really 
badly. I needed to kiss somebody so bad after that long. I just wanted that, you know, and I was willing to take a little risk for it because the op- the opposite was killing me. So I would say meet some people in the park. Tell tell your friends to go uh, go to the um, to meet at the water fountain and stand six feet away and find out if they like each other. And if they do, then sometime in the next two weeks they could maybe both get tests and then hold hands. There you go. I like that. I love that. All right. And then one more thing I got to throw. I'm going to have to throw this in there somewhere because I did want to talk about it and we didn't. We both share. All right. We both share a love of uh, David Berman. David Berman's writing. Okay. His poetry. Yeah. Is, has he been a big influence yeah. on your poetry? And tell me a little bit about where the where the poetry came in for you. I would say my biggest influence as far as the poetry would be Charles Bukowski. And then David definitely has to be. I mean, I I knew David. I just considered him more of a friend. I was trying to be his friend, so I didn't focus on his work so much because then I would yep. be intimidated or, you know, like, but I really love his poetry. And it's, it's that poetry that is not, I guess I'm a fan of Bukowski because he would write things that weren't even poems and call them poems. You know, by any strict definition of poetry, he would just write, you know, anything he wanted and yep. call it a poem. And I really admired that. And, and it really changed my head about poetry. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it doesn't have to be this thing where you, where you don't understand it. And in fact, I don't think not, you know, I don't think anything you can't understand is really worth much of anything, honestly. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I don't think making something so dense that it's, the meaning is obscured or intimidates people. I don't want to make something that intimidates people. I don't want to make a poem that a person has to feel like they have to have a degree to understand it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do poetry. I can't read poetry. I can't write it. All of it intimidates me. You know? And so I would say the great things about David is David was incredibly smart. Or the great thing about David's poetry was he was incredibly smart, but he wrote poetry that you could read and understand and get sometimes a laugh out of, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I appreciate that. You know, the artists that mean the most to me, like Jonathan Richmond or David Berman or or Charles Bukowski or plain spokenness, like Mm -hmm. language that is approachable with ideas that are deep and a playfulness as far as form, like, hey, this can be a poem, this can be a poem, this is a poem, you know, like, and also going back to like even Dada or something like that thing, you know, where they were like present, you know, like a urinal in an art gallery and they were like, this is art. You know what I mean? It was yep. kind of like that. It's like, like, I love that idea that anything could be a poem if you call it a poem. And I think that David had a way of, of conveying deep ideas, but in, in plain language. And I really think that's the name of the game, at least for me, you know? Yeah. Well, Chris, great to talk to you, man. Thanks for all your time. And, um, we appreciate you. We look forward to the podcast and, uh, more memes. Cold brew got me like, uh, all right. Well, I, I can't stop now. So I will. I will. Pres- I will definitely be doing cold brew. Got me like for probably much longer than people would like. Excellent. Um, so thanks, Mike, so much, and thank you, Kenneth. And you know, feel free to get back in touch with me if you need anything. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Talk, talk to you soon, bud. All right. That was amazing. Thanks so much to Chris for taking the time out and just hilarious. Um, I loved it. So. And check out his new record as well. All right, let's get Kenneth Deadman on the line here now. All right, it is my brother from the South Side now. He is Kenneth Deadman. He's on the line. What up, dog? We're here on the on the video chat. We're like professionals now. 
Third season. How you doing, brother? Third season in quarantine. Doing good, dude. Pretty amped. Pretty amped on Coffee Talk. It took us a while to get there, but we finally did. Today has been very iced focused, very jacked. Had a great conversation with Chris Crofton where we were both just jacked on cold brew, just totally going nuts. It was just great. And I know that you have you have a special kind of regimen for drinking coffee. Yeah. Um how you're passionate about coffee. How jack <laughs> how jacked did you get? Did you did you eat before you you drank your coffee? No, see, we're not we're not really good like you are with the eating, which I know you're going to get into a little bit, but we both talked about how we, we just get jacked and jacked and jacked on coffee and to the point where we're like, I need a muffin or I'm going to like lose it. We go right to the edge. But you have a different method in terms of drinking coffee and eating. Well, I just been to the edge. <laughs> beyond <laughs> the edge. <laughs> You've been to beyond the edge more than most of us. We'll, yeah. we'll give you that. Um, R.I.P. or see you soon. I don't know. I don't know which one it is yeah, for. Not sure for for the chicken wing restaurant. But um, yeah, um, I've been to the edge on coffee consumption to the point where I thought I was dying. Yeah, when I drink coffee, I have like a code. I guess. I, right now, I have a code. I didn't always yeah. have a code. Break it down. The Kenneth Code of Coffee. Okay, yeah, there's like uh, a lot of science behind it. I I think like the coolest thing about coffee, coffee science. If you're gonna compare it, say we we deal in the booze the booze work a lot, but um, in coffee, like a lot of a lot more people drink coffee and drink booze. So they really just got to go study the people that don't drink coffee. My first tip, I suppose, if that's if if that's the first rule, the first codicil of the code of the code, yeah, is to um, ingest something uh, before before I eat, before I ingest some food before I have my first cup of coffee. Problem with that is it has to do with uh, and and it, and it applies even on days where you don't have a lot of rest and you're not exact or days that you have a lot of rest and you're not exactly looking for a cup of coffee to start your day anyway. Um, but out of habit, you might reach for one. Like um, the change in blood pressure um, also affects like your glycemic levels uh, for a brief amount of time. Uh, just leads to like a huge crash. Everyone does it, and that's what you and Chris were probably like getting wild on when you were talking. Was just like so much caffeine and uh, not enough food to kind of like uh, give you that original burst of energy, and that's like all not like nothing new there everyone knows that they need like food mm -hmm. food for energy and not caffeine but it creates like a endless cycle with me with me it creates mm -hmm. this endless cycle of caffeine and not eating food and always up and crashing very quickly i start my day just immediately with coffee and i'll usually have like two cups and, I, and since we've been talking about it the last month or so, I have tried to get through one cup and then be like, you got to eat. Like, I got to eat something. And I just don't do the big breakfast anymore like I used to. You know, it's like I'm trying to, like, make sure the kids eat their breakfast before they get to do the online school. We got a whole routine with the dogs, like get the dogs out. Then they want to come back in. Then they eat. Then they got to go back out. Yeah, you, um, you have all those things about your day compounding on you, and you're you're just like kind of just like one eye open, 
one eye closed, figuring it out, and drinking coffee, and your stom- stomach's just like twisting because there's uh, plenty of really great shit in coffee. The benefits are out- way outweigh the uh, the detriment, but you got to get food in you, even if it's just like I don't know, like a banana is probably probably the most killer killer thing you can just like. You don't even have to chew a banana, really, do you? Um, All right, what else on your coffee method? Uh, so definitely eat and wait after that as long as possible. I like to I, I, I like to like let myself get my breakfast energy first, and it doesn't really take very long. Usually, just just forcing food into your system when like I've grown like. I'm new to this, so I, I get really excited about it. But like forcing food into your system early in the day or whatever time, early in your day, you immediately feel better, even if it's just like an egg or a banana, an egg, a banana. Yeah. If I can make it past like second meal of the day or second breakfast, then that's that's where I'm like down for it. But I usually don't make it that far. I usually try to get like coffee in me a couple of hours later and that's because i'm concerned about my cortisol levels which is like this hormone that wakes you up in the morning it's the fight or flight one like the stress hormone and when you have a lot of cortisol in your system caffeine caffeine is really bad because it mimics uh the effects of cortisol it like raises your adrenaline response so you kind of want those hormones when you need them as opposed to like thinking like you need coffee when you need it caffeine when you need it and by caffeine i mean coffee because i don't fuck with no energy drinks that's just like a whole different subject that's like that's right because there's no giving up coffee i mean i admire people who've done it in my in my world there's no giving up i will never give it up as far as as far as i know as far as i can feel at this you point you know how someone uh i'm i'm in for the long you know run. how someone gave up coffee huh? don't worry they'll tell you <laughs> and now the time has come booze news with kenneth deadman halloween edition coffee cold brew anyone anybody want to tweak holy shit what do you got that's booze worthy and coffee worthy out there um should I keep going? <laughs> That's not bad. Holy shit. In a world. Oh, it is ha- it's Halloween edition. Uh, to follow up on battering the royal family, I do have to throw props to the Prince of Wales, who, mm. um, a- as we talked about on our previous show, just started his own distillery from his own estate. He's also uh, has been for a long time a huge proponent of, um, of biofuels and has had almost every car in his possession either turned from diesel to like an like a oil-burning diesel or uh, fully ethanol running. In fact, uh, the Aston Martin that his mother, the Queen, presented to him on his 21st birthday of 
right around a 60 year old car now has been was converted into uh an ethanol burning uh device shit that would have been like in the late 70s early 80s um Mm. that ran strictly on ethanol created by distilled white wine that went bad in buckingham palace holy shit wow so it sounds it almost sounds like until you get to the buckingham palace part it sounds like you're talking about a bond villain you know it's like he's gonna do his own distillery out on his estate and then he's he's like this biofuel magnet which would be a good cover like, he owns all these exotic cars he's got a um i don't know a hydrofoil isn't that what they're called the hydrofoil what's well, not a car okay are you familiar with those it's like uh, it's on a cushion of air, so it's not a boat, it's not a car, it's not a tank. It's this thing with a fan that floats around. Kind of sounds like what you use on the Everglades, like that kind of. Yeah, kind of like that. They have the yeah, they have those. That's on the, total Bond movie status. That's like a chase scene, like mid that's mid to late film chase scene. Yeah, depending on if that's great if they've had a chase in the air or not. All right. Well, anything on the royal family? You want to take a shot or anything like that, Mike? Uh, just that I saw in uh, as we're keeping on the news front, I did see that um, Prince Andrew, part of Who's the he? Maxwell Epstein uh, web, right? Yes. I, I, There's been some stories that he's planning his uh, he's planning to reemerge, do a little PR work, introduce himself to the public. Yeah, reintroduce himself, maybe fight some accusations, and let's be honest, probably try to bust her out of prison. He might have to do that. I don't know. Um, do you, That's the word. So, yeah. So, yeah, Prince Andrew. Did you ever see that the last time that he was in the public was that really uncomfortable interview that he did? I was looking at his tie, and it was like cocked to the side. When you're tying your, your tie, you kind of want to make – you don't want to look at – you don't want your tie to look like you tied it like a freaking goofball. Like you want it to at least be passable so that no one notices Mm -hmm. it. And when you don't do it, no matter how easy a a knot is for you or not, like people notice it's just not a passable tie. Kind of like how people notice when you're barefoot. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I thought that that was pretty telling as far as that guy's concerned because his family let him go on national television and deal with those questions, but they didn't be like, Hey, let me fix your tie, son, or any, any shit like that. Like his handlers or whatever. Yeah, And I would think it would just be like, hand somebody the silk tie and like tie this tie beautifully for him. You know? Yeah. Hey, tie this tie for him. He's not the tie of innocence (laughs) or no, you know what it was? It was like, there's like this, this, um, kind of scrappy butler who's running around they're like hey tie this tie dude make it look good he's going on tv and he's not great at tying ties and then he's like it's andrew isn't it it's for andrew <laughs> they're like yeah 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 i knew it i knew it yeah <laughs> give me the fucking tie <laughs> uh, yeah they had a good laugh on that one down in the basement <laughs> Oh, you mean the quarters? Over cigarettes and cards. <laughs> yeah. You mean the what? <laughs> the sevens quarters. Oh, shit. I kind of want to skip this one. Uh, I got some uh, bad news for uh, seltzer seltzer drinkers. Uh, Uh-oh. 
Uh, there's this uh, urologist, urologist named uh, Alicia Jeffrey Thomas uh, that is uh, taking to TikTok, asking her 350,000 viewers to tone back their seltzer consumption, along with uh, the main, the the main attributors to uh, bladder discomfort, which is uh, alcohol consumption and uh, coffee consumption. Kaboom. Once again, Alicia Jeffrey Thomas, uh, she was a floor physical therapist in uh, Boston, a pelvic floor physical therapist in Boston, wants you to drink less soda. So any soda, like like LaCroix. Bubbles, and- yeah, bubbles. Limit your bubble consumption for the sake of, for mm. the sake of your bladder to roughly 20% of your total liquid volume consumption. Mm. I can probably do that. It's uh, important to note that carbonated beverages don't affect your bladder in a negative way. They can exasperate already underlying problems. What else? I have a big banger in Napa Valley. Mm. Napa is getting a little nervous about the emerging marijuana culture following oh well. following this year's fires, and which they're continuing to somewhat deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I think Napa's pretty fine right now. Now, Napa, uh, Napa County is illegal as far as uh, commercial outdoor cultivation. A lot of growers in, the, in Napa County um, do not want marijuana cultivation, citing that marijuana cultivation can disrupt, uh, they, can let, they can let turpins in the air that can disrupt the intended growth or flavor profiles of their wines. It's fucking bullshit. Oh, wow. Fucking bullshit, bro. Stephanie Hong, uh, who is a uh, uh, director of sales and owner of the Hong Vineyard and Winery and president of the Napa Valley Cannabis Association, has been actively gathering signatures uh, to put marijuana cultivation um, in Napa Valley, commercial cultivation in Napa Valley on the forefront. There are a lot of speculations on both sides of these. These are these can be uh, marijuana companies that want to buy up land and farm marijuana. And also you've got a lot of farmers, like grape farmers, that have all these like stash pots all over the farm and they don't want anyone coming in and like really telling anyone about it and having to pay taxes on what they're already probably doing. The move seems to be a little bit more of an action to get like uh, commercial dispensaries uh, opened up in Napa. Napa Napa County uh, apparently is only is only distributing marijuana based on health vouchers. That's soon to change, but it's going to have to wait until March of 2022, which is the next window for public referendum. This Pinot really tastes like IPA. You're like, yeah, I sprinkled some Why seeds. Why does this taste like uh, skunky kind of? <laughs> Sprinkle some seeds Who by knows? the pond. That's great. Finally, Brands for Fans, Swedish-based spirit company, continues its Blitzkrieg of the uh, Scandinavian Scandinavian spirit uh, world with its latest oh, wow. latest commemorative kiss 
Black Diamond Rum Collection release. Mm. In partnership with Tell the fucking it. band Kiss, uh, they will be <laughs> only in Sweden. Black Diamond, uh, which is the final song on uh, Kiss's uh, debut album, Premium Dark Rum, will be bottled at 40% ABV in 500 milliliter bottles and released on October October the 29th, which is now. Um, This is the continuation of a long line of rock and roll and heavy metal, along with Kiss, other bands uh, such as Motorhead, uh, Premium Run. Judas Priest has a limited rum edition on the same on the same uh, ticket, a uh, band called Hammerfall. You ever heard of them? I don't think so. Yeah, me neither. Uh, they have a premium vodka, but the Scorps, the Scorpions have a have the first whiskey on the uh, Spirit Companies from Sweden. White Snake's not doing an Aquavit or something? Uh, not that I know of. Dude, they, they have Romstein, a Reposado tequila. <laughs> oh, Romstein Repo. Okay. Yeah, dude. I'll take a Romstein repo on the rocks, please. Uh, they, yeah, they, the Romstein repo was a uh, 200 bottle released, blah, 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 arrested in French oak barrels. 200 bottles? Yeah. That's not much. It, they each went for $200,000 a piece. Yeah, it, it came with a, uh, like a leatherette case, uh, 100% handmade, laces up to the back the, with a cast iron cap. Like it all fit inside to like a huge like three D printed hammer of Romstein's of Romstein's logo. So you're paying for packaging. Yeah, I, I think people are gonna pay it when it comes to the the kiss stuff. But yeah, I want to see somebody doing Aquavit though, dude. They got they have actually all these other brands, but you have to be you got to wear a really really tight shirt and live like in Germany to know some of these bands. Well, maybe our buddy Matt Campbell, who we're going to hear from later, is going to tell us his Lost Spring uh, honky tonk story from Roberts. Maybe he he's not too far from Germany, so maybe he can get over there and get us a bottle and send it That'd out. Matt, if you're listening, be on the lookout for this stuff. Next train trip you take to Germany. Of course, he's in lockdown in Poland, so he's probably not going anywhere. Oh, I wouldn't <laughs> mind the the Motorhead. Like a motorhead rum. I did a shot with Lemmy one time when I was uh, was like 23 years old working in a nightclub. What'd you shoot? Jägermeister. Damn. Amazing booze news as always. Yeah, fun. Good stuff. An amazing booze news as always. And we have a really special audio essay here. This is from Lost Spring, How We Cocktailed Through Crisis. You can find it on Amazon. It's an ebook. Portion of the proceeds going to Tennessee Action for Hospitality. They are helping folks in the hospitality industry, which has been hit so hard by this pandemic and continues to be hit hard while politicians in Washington do nothing really to help them at this point. Let's turn things over all the way from Warsaw, Poland, former grill man, barback, and musician at Robert's Western World, my brother, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, Spring 2020. I'm sufficiently submerged in warm water, frothy, with good dreams, coconut bath powder, drinking a glass of cheap Italian red wine, the scent of a vanilla candle delicately mixes with last notes of a stamped-out joint, and Linda Ronstadt sings Blue Bayou through the Bluetooth speaker resting on the edge of the porcelain sink. 
I must have heard that song 400 times between the different female singers on the stage at Robert's Western World. From the weekly regulars to guest singers and the bartenders taking a small break for a short star turn. Sitting here in Warsaw, I still get ready to sing in unison. I'm going back someday. Working at Roberts is like being in a special club which enjoys some status, the value of which becomes clouded or clearer depending on the day, the number of dollars involved, and a desperate need to exploit the most valuable of skills. Willingness. When I got the job as a bar back one daytime a week, I offered open availability to then-manager Julie Rahimi, and she fired back. What are you doing tonight? I had done only one shift during a slow December when I received my first paycheck, but along with it was a Christmas bonus, bigger than my day's wage. When Julie asked me if I could cook, I didn't think twice before saying yes. I did tell her. It had been nearly 20 years since I spent a spring break and a couple summer months as a short order cook in a neighborhood bar. Good enough. She needed a grill cook for New Year's Day, and she was looking deep into her bench to find a warm body. In hindsight, I can fully appreciate her attempt at reassurance, insisting that the day after such a big party would be slow and manageable. And when I arrived early that morning, the floor was covered in trash. Cups, cans, and napkins, paper food trays. By the time 11 o'clock rolled around, I had done a modest amount of prep, while the small cleaning crew returned the room to ready. The day bartender, Hope, <laughs> had arrived and was bouncing between the bare tables, setting up menus, ketchup, mustard, salt, and pepper. The first band had filed in and was hitting a few obligatory notes to test the sound system. That was it. For about 20 minutes, all went as planned. A few stragglers staggered in as the door was propped open on a crisp January day. But it seemed most of the town had decided to sleep in. I even had time to practice my technique for making the house favorite, a fried bologna sandwich. What makes the Roberts version so special are the slices of bologna, thin. Put six to eight of them directly onto the flat top. Two slices of Texas toast follow, each generously buttered for the purposes of taste and toasting. A flip of the bologna halfway between the golden browning of the bread. Time enough to slice a tomato and get a thick leaf of lettuce to lay down the foundation for the simplest, yet still decadent, delicacy in all of downtown. Add a few dill pickles, or a craft single if you're feeling fancy. Wash it down with an ice cold, if the cooler's working. Paps Blue Ribbon Beer. It sounds so simple, so easy. But like Nashville itself, the key is, you have to be there to fully appreciate it. The tastes, the smells, and the sounds. You had to be there on that New Year's Day when the city woke up like a sleeping giant with a craving for fried bologna, and the slow day that had been predicted turned into a tidal wave of humanity that flooded both floors of Roberts. A first-time cook and a veteran bartender rode out the storm for five and a half hours with only each other to lean on. No door guys, no bar back, no servers. 
Don't ask me how it happened. I only know that it did. Before my time at Roberts was over, I had worked every position available. I led the band and I loosened clogged pipes. I emptied the garbage and I threw out the trash. I cut the lemons and limes, even carried the banner with my own radio program. And I loved doing it. Nashville's a transient town, though. People come and go, as quietly as the last of the faithful servants, folding up their table tents and disappearing down the Ryman Alley into the dawn. Back in Warsaw, the candle is nearly burned out, and the water has turned cold, but not to worry. I'll never be blue. My dreams come true. All right, thanks so much to Matt Campbell for reading that beautiful audio essay. Thanks to Kenneth, as always, for loads of booze news, informing all of us with all the things we don't really need to know, but didn't realize we wanted to know and thanks again to chris crofton just an amazing interview with him check out all that he has going on and send him messages on twitter and instagram for any advice that you need because he's a sage and uh as you can tell he's a very open honest and thoughtful guy so just love talking cold brew with him we'll be back next week talking about coffee and getting really intense about coffee with Nathaniel Marins, one of the founders of Stay Golden, the coffee roaster and uh, cafe here in Nashville, as well as Matchless Coffee Soda. He's one of the co-founders of Matchless Coffee Soda, and he knows his coffee and he knows his cocktail. So look for that coming next week. And thanks as always for listening. Check out the spooky story, Who Cooks for You, Who Cooks for Y'all. On weownthistown.net for anyone who needs a spooky story to tuck them in at night. Check that out. My name's Mike Wolf. For my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Edman, we will see you next time right here on Liquid Gold. All right now. Later, Tater. <laughs>